Father, we look at our world today that we live in, and uh, as you said yourself, uh, as was in the days of Noah, so will the time be when the Son of Man comes. And Lord, we know that we're nearing that time just by how evil this world has become. Uh, Lord, it was evil in Noah's day, and it's becoming more and more evil in our day, and we just uh, have only one choice in the situation we're in, and that's, that's to look to you and found, find what Noah found when uh, he looked to you, Lord, and that's your grace, your wonderful grace that uh, we have through Jesus Christ and, and uh, through the cross and uh, through salvation. We just, we just thank you, Lord, for, for that grace, and we're going to study about that a little bit today as we look at this really uh, interesting passage in, in Genesis chapter 6, and I just ask that you bless our study by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. A well-meaning friend came up to Vance Hebner shortly after his wife had died. And he said to Vance, he said, I'm sorry about your loss. And the great evangelist replied to his friend and he said, oh, don't be sorry. I haven't lost anything. You've only lost something if you don't know where it is. And I know exactly where my wife is. And so... Uh, he gave a perfect response to that. But actually, there are situations where something isn't lost, yet you don't know where it is. Let me explain with an illustration. Several, uh, actually been a couple of years back, this lady called me one afternoon and she said that she had lost her keys in the parking lot of our church. And she was back in Lake Charles. She said she had met a friend there. Her and her husband had met a friend there. And when they were out talking, she thinks she dropped her keys in the parking lot. And she wanted to know if I would go and look for her keys. Now, I immediately said to her, I cannot imagine a woman losing her keys. I've never heard of such a thing. And she said, you're really funny. <laughs> but I really would appreciate if you would go and look for my keys. And I said, okay, I'll go look for your keys. So I got in the car, we live way out in Sunset. I got in the truck and I started heading towards the church to look for her keys. And I got about halfway there and she said, you don't have to look for my keys. She said, I found them in the floorboard of the car. Well, see, that lady found something she had never really lost. In today's message, we're going to look at Noah, and Noah's going to find something wonderful that he had never really lost. He's going to find, look at verse number 8, he's going to find the grace of God in chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it's a good thing he found it when he found it, because things were really getting bad in the world when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what we're going to begin to look at today uh, in verse number 5. So pick up with me in verse number 5 and, and listen to what we're told here in verse number 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. That's pretty bad. Uh, and we see these little hints of this throughout 
history. I mean, when God says in the book of Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, that's the same situation. When Jesus says, so as in the days of Noah will be uh, the state of mankind when he comes back. That's the same warning that people take their eyes off the Lord and they do just what they want to do. Now, now he says, the Lord, he says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil, on evil. Now, what does he mean by evil there? In context, uh, that's not just wicked thoughts and intents. That's any thought that is godless. I mean, you can be a, a, a pretty good person in the world's eyes and still be a godless person if all your thoughts and intents are on something other than God. Uh, and so uh, here... These people were doing the same thing that most people are doing now in our world. There's nothing new under the sun. Every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. And even the people in that society that were considered to be good people, in God's eyes, were evil people. Now, I look at this verse, and this verse is a good measuring stick or barometer of our, the validity of our own Christianity. I mean, where are the intent and thoughts of our hearts continually? I mean, we all need to ask that question. I mean, if all we're thinking about are the things of this world, then we might have a serious problem. You don't have to be a murderer to be a godless person. Uh, in our society, most of the people in our society are law-abiding citizens. They're not murderers. While at the same time, every intent of their thought uh, thoughts of their hearts are only on evil continually. Their, own, their thoughts and intents are on godless things. You look at Sodom. When Sodom was destroyed, it wasn't a, a lawless society in, in that, that uh, you know, it, there was anarchy there. But, but those people had uh, disobeyed the laws of God. They were living according to their own laws. And uh, all their thoughts were on evil continually. They were on godless things continually. And so God destroyed Sodom, just like he's going to destroy the world uh, during this flood that we're looking at in chapter 6. And just like he's going to destroy this world very soon. And, and it's not that things are totally out of control, although they're getting pretty much that way. But it's, but it's that, that, they're, that people's thoughts, have, they could care less about God. They could care less about their creator. And I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. Do we really care about God? Where are our thoughts? I mean, where, is, where are our hearts? Uh, Paul says this over in Colossians chapter 3. He says that if we have been raised with Christ, we're to set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth. Do you hear that? You've got to set your mind. That's a choice you make every day, every minute of every day. Where is your mind set? Is your mind set on Christ or is it set on the things of this world? And so the focus of our thoughts and intents should be continually not on the things of this world, but on the things of Christ. And if they're on the things of this world, then, we, then more than likely we don't really love Christ. We love the world. And there's a great warning in the Bible. John gives us in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, if anyone loves the world, if their thoughts and their hearts are continuously on evil, on the things of this world, 
if anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in them. Now, it can't be any clearer than that. You're not saved if your thoughts are not on God. If you have no desire to think about God, to live for God, then you're not saved. And I'm not saying that to judge anyone. I'm just saying that to warn you that you, you, this is a great barometer here to check the validity again of our own Christianity. Otherwise, we're going to fall into that category of people that are judged by God. Look at verse, verse number 6. He says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. You know, that's amazing to me. What a God we serve. A God that loved these people as wicked as they were. He loved them so much that he was sorry that he had made them. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'm going to destroy him. I have no other choice. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry. He says it again. I am sorry that I have made them. Now, if you have a King, the King James Version, it says it in the first part of verse number six, the Lord repented, or, uh, the, or it repented the Lord. The Lord repented or it repented the Lord. And what that's saying is that the Lord changed his mind. Now, you've got to be real careful with that kind of theology. In other words, the Lord said, you know, if I could go back, I would never do this again. I, I mean, I don't know why I did this. I, I look at how this turned. This didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I mean, look how bad man has turned out. I wished I had never made them. Now, that interpretation can't be right because Numbers chapter 23, 19, we're told God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. In other words, God does not change his mind about anything. God, one of the attributes of God, and you better be glad this is one of his attributes. One of the attributes of God is that he is immutable. He does not change. God does not change. We're told in Malachi 3, 6, the Lord says, I never change. I change not. I never change. The Lord knew when he made Adam and Eve exactly how this was going to end up. He knew that he was going to have to destroy mankind. And so all really this passage is saying right here is that the Lord was sorry for the way it turned out. And I mean, he knew it was going to turn out this way, but when the time came, he was sorry that it had to turn out this way and he was going to have to destroy all the people of this earth except for a few people and a few animals, and that was going to be it. And he was sorry for that. And, and, and uh, uh, you can see that. I mean, if you're a parent, I mean, every parent, if they're honest with themselves, at some point there comes a time when you're sorry you had children. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, now you can lie and say, oh, I've never felt that way. But there comes a time, and for other parents, there definitely comes a time when they're sorry they had certain children. I mean, they, maybe I'd be better off if I've never had any children. Let me tell you what. If you, when you have children, you take a great risk, a great risk. Just like when Adam and Eve created, Adam, I mean, when God created Adam and Eve, he took a great risk. When we have children, we take a great risk risk because those children come into this world and they can get sick 
I mean, when you see a chick, sick child, I mean, a very, very sick child, uh, you see a, some people I, I have children that die. Can you imagine that? And, and, and it's almost as if I wish I had never birthed that child. And then you get children that, that uh, uh, forsake everything that you've taught them, and they go their own separate way some, down some wicked path, and, and, and the parent at some point says, I wish I'd never had that son. I mean, I, I'm sorry I had that son. I mean, some people have children, and, and, they, and, and you take care of your children. You give them everything. You do everything you possibly can for them they're, until they're grown, and then they walk out, and they never look back. They, 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 they have no gratitude in their heart for all the things that you've done for them. And you say to yourself, you know, I'm not saying I'm saying that, but I'm saying a, a parent like that at some point says they're sorry. When you get that bill for college tuition, that first bill, you say, man, if we didn't have children, think of what we could do. We could go to Hawaii or something. Uh, and, 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 and I've, you know, at some point, children are going to bring heartache into your life, and there's going to be regrets. But there's not a parent in the world worth their salt that would go back and not take that risk all over again. But for the joy that that child brings to the life of a family when that child is born and as that child grows up. Look, God knew the risk when he created Adam and Eve. And when humanity turned out so bad, he was sorry that humanity had turned back out so bad. But he never gave a second thought to going back and undoing what he had done. That's all he had to do. God could undo anything he wants to do just by his word. But he never gave that a second thought because even though he was grieved by what Adam and Eve had done and all their descendants had done and the fact that he was going to have to destroy mankind, he hadn't forgotten that joy that he felt and all the angels felt when they shouted for joy on that sixth day of creation and, on the seventh, and when God said, it is very good. And so God was sorry that it had reached this state, but he wasn't going to go back and undo it. And God was, is omniscient. That's another attribute of God. He knows everything. He sees the future. So God could see past the flood. He could see the area we're going to be coming up on in Genesis when we get past the flood. He could see the time of Abraham and the rest of the patriarchs, those lovable guys. Abraham and Isaac and that, especially that old Jacob. He could see Jacob, and he could see Jacob's 12 sons. And he could see them going into captivity, and he could see them making that exodus and them wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and he could see them heading into the promised land. And what a joyful day that had to be for his heart when he saw them head into that, into, head into that land that he had promised them, that land of milk and honey. But you know what he also could see? He also could see how every intent of their heart would become on evil again continually. And they, every one of them would do what was right in their own eyes. And, and judgment would come. And they would go into captivity. And, and, and uh, it would seem like they were doomed. But he also could look forward and he could see Bethlehem. He could see Bethlehem on Christmas night where he entered this world to die for their sins and to die for our sins. He could see Golgotha on, on uh, Good Friday. He could see 
uh, the, the, the tomb, empty tomb on uh, Easter Sunday. He could see the church receiving the Spirit on Pentecost. He could see his second coming. He could see all of his children living with him in glory in the new Jerusalem. He could see that way back here when he said, I'm sorry I've made mankind because he sees the end. And he's got a picture of it. You go to Revelation 4 and 5, he's got a snapshot of you and I right there in heaven with him. He sees the end. He's always seen the end, and he's seen it here. But at this point, things were really, really bad. And he looked down, and he was sorry. And that's interesting to me. And if he could see to the future, and he could see all of his children in heaven, why would that grieve him so? I mean, if he could see the end, he sees that he wins, why would that grieve him so? Because that's the heart of God. He wishes that none should perish, that all should come to everlasting life. I mean, when he was in Jerusalem and he was about to die on that cross, and and he could see the fact that one day he was dying, he knew who he was dying for. He knew those people on this earth who have lived and will live that would be his children. He could see all of that. But remember what he did? He went up on that hill and he looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and nurture you and, and, and do great things for you and to bless you. But you would have none of it because you would have none of me. And that's the same thing he's doing here. He's grieving. He's, he's not changing his mind, but he's grieving that this could happen to his creation, that he gave men and women a choice and they chose to reject him and that broke his heart. That's why it's worded like that. So he says, for I am sorry that I have made them. So he's reached the point where he's about to destroy the earth. Why? Why? I want to jump ahead just a minute. Jump jump ahead to verse number 11. He tells us why. He gives us a little more detail than just the fact that they're hearts were on evil and their thoughts were on evil continually. Listen to what he says in verse number 11. He says, the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Do you see those words there repeating themselves? I mean, he says the earth was corrupt. It was filled with violence. He says it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. I mean, how had flesh, how had we corrupted our way on earth? I mean, how had, how had things become so corrupted? Well, it began where? It began when Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit. And when they ate of that forbidden fruit, they died spiritually and they took on a sin nature instead of the nature of God. And they passed that sin nature on to all of their children. And, and then... God, what did God do after that? He cursed the earth. And so everything changed. And when he cursed the earth, it, it, it really, in effect, uh, cursed the animal kingdom. It cursed the ground. It made it hard for mankind to, to work. They had to work by the sweat of their brow. No longer could they just pluck the fruit and eat it. And so it was corrupt. And then, as we saw last week, the sons of God came down and they took women as their wife's angels, demonic angels, took women as their wife, and they corrupted the genetic makeup of humans. And so you put all of this together and, 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 and add it all up, and, and over 1,600 years, mankind became 
progressively more and more evil, more and more godless, to the point that their, all their thoughts were on evil continually. And since they had no regard for God, they didn't have the love of God in their heart. And their hearts wax cold. And when your heart is cold, what starts to happen? You become, I, I know in my own life, when I lose my temper, the reason I lose my temper is because I'm not filled with the Spirit. You can't do both at the same time. Or if you're filled with the Spirit and you lose your temper, you're not going to be filled with the Spirit anymore. But when you drift away from God, even as a Christian, what happens to your heart? It becomes cold. And you start, you'll notice it because you'll start losing your temper. And eventually, as Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, given enough time, what's going to happen? You're going to act on that anger. So here they were. These people were living 900 years old. And eventually they were, they were godless and they had these cold, dark hearts. And so eventually they acted on their evil uh, heart and they became violent. And so uh, violence filled the land. Now, that should sound familiar. All of that should sound familiar because people today, their hearts and thoughts are continually on evil. We are a paganistic, uh, hedonistic, idolatrous society. That's, that's what we live in. And I'm, just talking, I'm not talking about just America. I'm talking about the whole world. And we have become a haunt for every evil spirit. More and more and more you see this demonic presence in our society. And as man become more and more godless, what does Paul tell us in the last days? Their hearts are going to grow cold. And when your heart grows cold, your heart becomes violent. That's why you can't drive in the streets of Lafayette without seeing road rage everywhere you go. Or, and you end up participating in it if your heart's not right with God. I mean, it is everywhere. And so the Lord said in that day that, uh, just like he's going to say in the day, the day of the great tribulation, he says in verse number seven, I will destroy men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men and beasts, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. I am sorry. That sounds pretty bleak. It can't get any more bleak than that. And I think if God were to speak to our society today, he would say exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. As bleak as it was in Noah's day, it's every bit that bleak in our society today. But, but, that's the good news. Verse number seven, verse number eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, God is going to destroy, right before that, I'm going to destroy the whole earth and everything on it. But Noah found grace. That's the first time the word grace appears in the Bible. But thank goodness it's not the last time the word grace appears in the Bible. What's the word grace mean? We, there's all sorts of, of uh, interpretations about the word grace, but we know what it means. It simply means a gift, a gift of something you don't deserve. 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the greatest treasure that God could give anyone is his grace. And Noah found grace. And when he found that grace, he found the gift of salvation. He found the gift of life. And Noah walked with the Lord. Now, how did, how did Noah find that grace? I mean, did he have to dig for it? I mean, it, it's this great treasure that God gave him. Did he have to dig for that treasure? I mean, did he have to work for that treasure? No, he didn't have to do anything. That grace found him. I, I mean, that's the same way we find grace. That grace finds us. Now, you look at verse number 9, and, and it seems to say the opposite. Look at verse number 9 with me for a second. He says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. It sounds like, man, he lived a just life. He was perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Now, that sounds to me like Noah did a lot to get the gift of salvation. He did a, lot, did a lot in God's eyes to earn his standing with God. That's what it sounds like there. And I can tell a lot about someone's theology at, uh, by how they interpret verse number 9. There are people, a lot of people out there that will tell you you need to live like Noah. You need to be just in your day. You need to be perfect in your generations. You need to walk with God. And if you do that, then you've found salvation. And almost what is that saying? That's saying that you've earned salvation at that point. No, I mean, Noah was such a just man that God could say about him that he was perfect in his generations. And that sounds like he lived a pretty righteous life. But if that was so, I mean, if it wasn't grace that saved Noah from judgment, it was works, because that's what you're saying, it's works that saved him, then, then God wasn't giving Noah anything he was paying back a debt. See, that's exactly what Paul says in the book of Romans. Go with me to the book of Romans for a minute. Or Paul says can't happen when it comes to grace. He says that in Romans chapter number 4. Go to Romans chapter number 4. Hold your place there in Genesis. He says, now... To him who works to be just, to be perfect in God's eyes. Now to him who works for his righteousness, look what he says in verse number 4, Romans 4, 4. He says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, as a gift, but a debt. And, but, but, but we know that that's not how you receive grace. Look at what he says in verse number 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So how do we get salvation? We don't get salvation through our works. We get salvation. We get salvation through, uh, through faith, uh, where, we're, where God's righteousness is appropriated to us because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So, so Noah wasn't a perfect man in his generations because of his good works. He was a just man and perfect in his generations because he found grace. That's why he was perfect. Why did he find grace, though? Well, he found grace because he walked with God in faith. That's how you find grace. 
you walk with God in faith. Why did he walk with God in faith? Because he had found grace. I see, they kind of go together right there. You're not going to walk with God in grace unless the Father draws you. You're not going to walk with God in grace unless God shows you grace, unless you're walking in the eyes of God. When did he find that grace? Well, Noah found that grace the day that he looked upon the world that he lived in, and he said that this is an extremely wicked place, a wicked world, and the wages of sin is death and judgment. And I'm an extremely wicked person living in an extremely wicked world. And he realized that uh, he was wicked, the world was wicked, and that judgment was coming, and he called upon the name of the Lord, and when he called upon the name of the Lord, he was saved. And when he called upon the name of the Lord, the Lord called upon him. And that's when he really, truly began to walk with God. That's when he became a preacher of righteousness. That's when he began to build the ark. That's when he began to prepare himself for the judgment that was coming upon the earth. Now, certainly his faith produced good works. I mean, Noah was a working man for you to spend 100 years building an ark and 100 years preaching to a bunch of people who don't want to listen to you. Well, for you to do that, I mean, you have to have faith, a lot of faith. So he, he had faith, but that faith had been given to him by God. I mean, that gift that he found, he had always had. He had had it before the foundation of the world. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, uh, verse 4, he says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be righteous in Jesus Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You could say about Noah, he chose Noah before the foundation of the world, that he would, would, should be just and perfect in his generation to walk with God and to call upon his name. He was chosen before the foundation of the world to do that. So Noah one day found grace in God's eyes, but he had always had that grace. God had, God had chosen him before the foundation of the world to be perfect in his generations. And, 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 and God, and Noah was always in God's eyes. I, th I think that's, uh, again, we go back to the, the omniscience of God. I mean, God never took his eye off of Noah because Noah was his child before the foundation of the world. Noah, uh, Noah was in God's eyes when he was a little baby in Lamech's arms. He was in God's eyes when he took his a first step. He was in God's eyes when he said his first word. He was in God's eyes when he said his first bad word. He was in God's eyes when he preached his first sermon. He was in God's eyes on when he built the ark. He was in God's eyes when he got on the ark. He was in God's eyes 350 years later when he died. He was always in God's eyes because he had found grace. He found the grace that was his before the foundation of the world. And so the whole time that Noah lived, God kept his family perfect in their generations. They weren't corrupted, at least the portion of the family that made it onto the ark. They weren't corrupted by this demonic uh, uh, blemish that was placed on them by these demons mating with, with uh, placed upon mankind by these demons mating with the daughters of uh, of the men on earth. 
Now, how did Noah find grace? How did he find grace? By the sovereign election of God. I mean, did Noah have a choice? I mean, could Noah have turned out just like Cain if he had wanted to? I mean, did he have a choice to love God or did God not give him that choice? No, God gave him the choice. He had a choice just like Cain. He could follow God or he could follow the devil. But he chose to follow God. Why did he choose to follow God? Because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He had found grace in the eyes of the Lord before he even found the grace. God had given him that grace before the foundation of the world. You know, that's a strange term, find grace. I mean, how do you find grace? Let me see if I can give you an illustration as we close here. It's Christmas time, and so let me give you, we're getting out early today, believe it or not. The praise team was really early, so for the first time ever, you're going to get out before 12. Unless I get going here really good. But let me use a Christmas story to illustrate, seeing it's Christmas time. We want to get into the spirit of the season. There once was this wealthy man, very wealthy man. And he had this priceless gift that he wanted to give his young daughter. It was a diamond necklace that belonged to her mother that she wore uh, up until the time she died a few years after this man's daughter was born. And he wanted to give it to her so bad. He wanted to give her this necklace so bad. When she was about five years old, he, he, he wrapped it all up and he said, I'm going to give it to her. And then he thought about it and he said, you know, she's going to look upon this necklace and, and she's not going to understand its value. I mean, compared to the dolls and the other toys under the tree, this is just going to be junk to her. So he thought about it and he said, you know, I'm not going to give it to her this year. And year after year after year, uh, Christmas after Christmas, he waited and waited and waited until he thought the time was right. Until the time when his daughter had grown up and she was a mature woman. And, and uh, uh, once she had, had, he thought she had reached that point, he wrapped the necklace up in a little red box and he, with a white ribbon and he put it under the tree. And on the Christmas tag, he wrote this. He says, from your father with love. When the time, when Christmas time came, she found the gift. She found it. She found that grace, that gift under the tree. Uh, she didn't find something that was lost. That gift was hers her whole life. But she didn't possess it until the father knew that she was ready to possess it. And so she opened up the package, and she when she realized what the gift was, and her father told her that it had belonged to her mother, I mean, this priceless necklace, this beautiful diamond necklace, I mean, she began to cry with joy. And she said to her father, she said, this is the greatest gift I have ever received. You know, when the day came that Noah realized how wicked the world had become and how God was about to destroy this world for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Noah realized that he 
fell short of the glory of God too. That's the day he found grace. He found the gift that God had set aside for him before the foundation of the world. We don't know exactly what day that was. But at one point when Noah was of age and he reached that point where he realized that he was a sinner and that the world was full of sin and it was going to be destroyed, he found grace. He found that package of salvation. And in that package he found faith, he found eternal life, he found abundant life, he found justification, he found righteousness, he found his calling, and he was grateful. He was so grateful. I, I just could see him now. And so full of joy. I mean, you can imagine you're living in this wicked world. And one day you find grace. This world, you're living in this wicked world that's about to be destroyed. And you find grace. And he was so full of joy. And so full of passion for the Lord. That all his thoughts and intents were on the Lord. And he walked with the Lord. And he walked justly in his generations. See, that story repeats itself for every child of God. Like Noah, one day we look at this wicked world. And we say, wow, this is getting really bad. God's going to destroy this world. Or I'm getting really bad. God's going to destroy me. And we realize that we're doomed and that there's no hope for us or our world. And we cry out to God and we find grace. Not grace that was lost. The grace that was ours before the foundation of the world. The grace we have in Jesus Christ. That's what we find. Friends, if you found that grace... It's changed your life. If it hasn't changed your life, you had not found it yet. And you're not going to work to get it. God in his time is going to get you there. He's going to get you there. I mean, the easy route is to cry uncle early. <laughs> Don't do like I did. And him have to get you there the way he got me there. That's a tough route. You cry uncle and then you receive the spirit and then your thoughts of your heart and your mind are continually on the Lord and the things of the Lord. That's when you know you found grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us through this little text and goodness, Lord, we do live in a world that is so evil that's tumbling towards destruction. Lord, and I know in your heart your greed for the way we've walked in our lives and the way this world has turned out. But Lord, you, you know the end from the beginning. You know everything in between, Lord, and you know how this is going to turn out. Lord, we just thank you for the grace that you showed us in Bethlehem that day when you emptied yourself of your glory and you came to this earth to, to take on a body, Lord, to offer that body up for our salvation so that we could be saved. And Lord, when we look to that cross, we find grace. We find the grace that you stored up for us before the foundation of the world. We just thank you for that grace. We know we can only have that through Jesus Christ.
It's in his precious name that I pray.